Today, 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 everything changes for you. There is absolutely nothing any of us can do to change our past. But please know that your decision to join us in the purity of our praise unto God today definitely changes your future. St. Peter United decrees that you are worthy, you are loved, you are accepted, and you have a purpose. We are continuing our sermon series on the gifts that keep on giving. The gifts that keep on giving. This morning, I want us to turn our attention to the Gospel of Matthew. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5. Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5. I'll be reading from the New Revised Standard Version, starting at verse 21. Matthew 5, verse 21. Brace yourselves. You have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not murder. And whoever murders shall be liable, liable to judgment. But I say to you that you are, if you are angry with a brother or sister or sibling, you will be liable to judgment, and if you insult a sibling, you will be liable to counsel, and if you say you fool, you will be liable to hell of fire. So when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your sibling in faith in Christ your family, what have you, has something against you, leave your gift, therefore, before the altar and go. First, to be reconciled to your brother or sister or sibling and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are on the way to court with them, or your accuser may hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you will be thrown into prison. Truly I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please join me in prayer. Gracious and loving God, give us all now the eye of the eagle. Help us to see clearly into all of our hopes, joys, fears, and sorrows. Collectively weave our hands to the gospel plow and tie all of our tongues to truth. Let us hear from you the still-speaking, ever-living God in our midst. This is our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. I just want us to be honest for a moment. Where are all of my hotheads? All my hotheads, just put, let me put my hand up. You're a hothead, you know you tend to go off pretty quickly. It doesn't take much, all my hotheads, okay? Where, where are all the people, you might need to leave your hand up, who, who is still holding on to some grievances that may be 5, 10, 15, 20 years old? Put your, put your hand up. 
Now, now who doesn't, who doesn't want to stop being a hothead because it feels good? And who, who wants to continue holding on to the grievances? Because I don't know if I can put my... Today's message is for all of us. It is a word to challenge us. And many of you that have been here for a long time already know that I take issue with people who go to church and never show any transformation in their lives. People who are quick to speak in tongues, they're sanctified, they're baptized in the Holy Ghost, they're walking in God's divine favor, yet they are dismissing their children because their children choose to date outside of their race. Or they're dismissing their children because their children has chosen a sexual orientation that's different from theirs. They're dismissing people because they live in a place of perpetual judging everybody else that does not agree with them or wants to live like them. The scripture today teaches us, don't take yourself. Do we have any kids? Yes, there are two. I can't say what I want to say. Don't carry your butt to the church house every Sunday and then leave out of it acting like you're so holy and yet you are not reconciled, you don't love, and you don't care and nurture the relationship with people you should be nurturing. In other words, the scripture is saying, don't be a hypocrite. How can you walk in Christ's love and hope and peace and not forgive, and not have love, not have compassion, not be reconciled to those that you have disagreement with? Now, here is the truth. God is made manifest in relationship. When we talk about having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, the best way we know that that relationship is manifesting itself is through our relationships with other people. If you live in isolation and never see another person, how can you be sure that you are living in relationship with you? Even monks who have decided not to fraternize with the rest of us, even monks are in relationship with each other in their monasteries. So are nuns. So you can't really gauge if your relationship with God or Spirit or Jesus or Mary, however you define it, you can't gauge if there is something that is shaping and moving you if you are not in relationship. Mary Ann Williamson says, since none of our thoughts are neutral, every relationship takes us deeper into heaven or hell. Every relationship takes us deeper into heaven or hell. Are your relationships lifting you to a place of thriving and sustainability and hope and joy and peace? Or are those relationships taking you further and further into hell? She also says, people who make us angry, however, are our most important teachers. They indicate the limits of our capacity for forgiveness, 
holding grievance is an attack on God's plan for salvation. Hold, something wrong? That was, a, that was a sigh from deep within your soul. What's wrong? What's wrong? Am I pricking you? Oh, I should, I, I'm not on the toes yet. Let me keep going. Holding grievance is an attack on God's plan for salvation. Every person that has ever sent me over the edge has taught me something about myself and them. The one person that really comes to my mind was a person I worked with back at the Houston Food Bank when I was the manager of organization cult organizational culture there. And she would just, like, I'd get an email. I'd see her name. I wouldn't even see the subject line. I would just see the name, and I would just be like, what in the, why? What today? Why? What, because I know you want something. I know, I know, I know, I know you want something. And this person taught me that what I saw in her that was irritating to me was also the thing in myself that drives me in my own personal motivation. She was a reflection of something in me that I do, but I didn't like what she was doing being in her. In other words, I like to do what she was doing, but I didn't want what she was doing done unto me. Because back then when I would send an email, I, had, I, was, oh, I, was, I was coming for you or I needed you to do something that you hadn't done. If you get an email from me, I'm, I'm documenting. I, I used to be that person. If you get an email from me, it is a permanent record that I hold on. I had something like 10,000 emails over a one-year period. Because I never know when I might need it. So I'd hold on to it. So she was a reflection of something that was also in me. And because I could see that, she became a great teacher that now I start saying when somebody sets me off really, really bad, I have to wonder what is it about them that is in me that they're doing that I don't like that's a reflection of me as well too. What is it? So they can teach us more about ourselves. When we stop and really think and listen and don't get so bent out of shape and so angry and so mad, and we then ask ourselves, why am I about to go to 500? Why am I about to go off? Why is this bothering me? We might get some answers that teach us that we haven't healed something or we see something in them that is also in us. Marianne Williamson says about the Course in Miracles, she says, do you prefer to be right or happy? Do you prefer to be right or happy? Most of us prefer to be right. And it is a pill that we swallow that just is dragging us down. It is affecting us in so many ways. We want to be right. And we think because we're right, we're happy. But sometimes, after being married for almost 16 years, I choose to be happy. 
I choose not to be right. There's, there's no reason to argue about it. It's not going to change. It hasn't changed in 16 years. It's not going to change. So I choose to be happy. In my mind, I just sit it on the table and I look at it and say, you know what? It's not worth it. It's just, it's just not worth it. We will, this will take up a whole week and it's just, it's not worth it. Or as Cleve taught me, is this something that's a zero or is it a 10? So I tend to stay at zero to two these days because I just don't need to be right. I need to be happy and it's not, it's just not worth it. In these relationships, when we begin to want to set ourselves free, it starts with forgiveness. Forgiveness of the grievance. Dr. Fred Luskin in How to Forgive for Good opens the book by using metaphors that holding grievances is like a bunch of airplanes being on the screen, on an air controller screen, on the air controller screen of your mind. Holding a grievance is like having all of these planes up in the air. And then he says, how did the planes get up there in the first place? You took something too personally. They weren't even talking about you, thinking about you, and the comment wasn't even aimed at you, but you took it personally. You continue to blame the person that hurt you. You blame them for how bad you felt. You created a grievance story. Now, if you're like me, you love writing narratives. I, like, there'll be an issue, something will happen, I won't even have to talk to the person. I just begin to concoct a whole story in my mind. I write a narrative about why you said what you said, why you did what you did. And now that I'm a pastor, I catch myself doing other stuff I shouldn't be doing because then I start saying, oh, well, it's their family system. You know, they come out of this family system and because they were in that family system, this is how this is leaking over into the church and this is why they're doing this thing. And so this is how I understand this person. So I create a whole narrative around who the person is and what they have done when really... I don't know why they did what they did. I don't know why they said what they said. The only way to figure it out is to ask. And many of us don't like asking. We choose to get mad, whole grievance, and tell somebody about it. We take the, good, we take the other gospel and we go preach it about other folks about what we think they did, about what we think they said, about how, how they treated us and what's going on with them. Instead of asking, why did you say that? Why did you do that? What was that about? What is forgiveness? Forgiveness is the peace you learn to feel when you allow all of these circling planes to land. Forgiveness is for you and not the offender. Forgiveness is taking back your power Forgiveness is taking responsibility for how you feel. Forgiveness is about healing and not about the people who hurt you. Forgiveness is a trainable skill, just like learning to throw a baseball. Forgiveness helps you have control over your feelings. Forgiveness can improve your mental and physical healing. Forgiveness 
means you become the hero instead of the victim. Imagine taking back your power and saying, you hurt me, but I forgive you and I'm going to move on anyway. I'm not going to allow what you did to me to destroy me and to stop God's plan for my life. Forgiveness is a choice, and everyone can learn to forgive. Here's what forgiveness is not. Because to tell people who have been traumatized, who have gone through suffering, who have been treated poorly, who have gone through all kinds of situations in their life, to tell folks to just forgive somebody, it dismisses whatever you may have gone through with them. Forgiveness is not condoning unkindness. For Some of us should have listened to what forgiveness is before amening what forgiveness is not. <laughs> forgiveness is not condoning unkindness. Forgiveness is not forgetting that something painful happened. Forgiveness is... He's amening every one of my statements. He didn't amen on my first one. Forgiveness is not excusing poor behavior. Forgiveness does not have to be an otherworldly or religious experience. Right? We get caught up in that, I got to forgive because God says to forgive, and we actually never forgive. We actually fake the funk in the process of forgiving, but that is not what it is. Abdias, yes, that's what I said this time. That's twice this year so far, I think I've said it, fake the funk. Forgiveness is not denying or minimizing your hurt. Forgiveness does not mean, this is where I'm, somebody's probably going to take off running and shouting or something. Forgiveness does not mean reconciling with the offender. Forgiveness does not mean reconciling with the offender. Forgiveness <laughs> does not mean you give up having feelings. I found it fascinating to me, and I don't know which one of these comes first, but in a lot of the work that I have done in therapy over the years has been dealing with something my, my therapist introduced me to. She didn't bring out forgiveness first. She's never even told me to forgive. She said to me on numerous occasions, have you accepted who this person is? Have you accepted who this person is? And sometimes she'll walk me through things and she'll say, what kind of diagnosis does that sound like to you? about that person. What is it that has happened in that person's life? She'll walk me through all of these things and accepting the fact that either I know or I don't know has helped me move to a place of forgiveness. Accepting that I know or don't know has helped me move to a place of forgiveness. I don't believe forgiveness is something that should just be given lightly. 
I think it takes time. I think it takes processing. I think it takes working through. And the church has been absolutely horrible on preaching sermons about forgiveness and not teaching us about our mental health and helping us to dig deeper into why we were hurt in the first place and why that person may have offended us. There is no forgiveness without repentance in our theology, right? That's what we have been taught about God, that God forgives us once we repent. That's what we've been taught. And so when we talk about repentance in this church, we talk about it in the sense that Marcus Borg has defined it, in that repentance means to turn and return to God and to go beyond the mind that you previously had. So when you start thinking about forgiving somebody, it is also a moment of repentance for us as well too. It's a moment of repentance in that we have to return to God, to go to God and go beyond the mind that we previously had. See, the mind that we currently have is the mind that they are trash, they are garbage, and they deserve to be eviscerated. I will destroy them at all costs. I will do away with them. I will erase them from my life. Oh, they are going to burn in hell forever. Woe be it unto the person that tries to come against me. I am the truth and the word of the living God. I will shut it all down. But God is calling us to repent of that, to return to God and go beyond the mind we have and to say, how does God see this person and how does God see me? Because they may have done something that has set my wig on fire that has really ticked me off, but I know that as a child of the living God, grace is abundant to all of us and given to all of us. And so I may not understand why they did what they did, but I can be reconciled. I can repent. I can turn to God and say, I don't like it. I don't appreciate it. And God, as, as, as Amin was singing, I give myself away. God, show me the way in the midst of one to absolutely obliterate this person. Forgiveness is not about reconciling with the person, but it is about reconciling with God. Because if the person has gotten you so off track that you can't see straight, think straight, you can't sleep at night, you see them, you want to cross on the other side of the hallway, you know they come into a party, you tell the host to make sure they leave before you get there. Like, folks do some crazy stuff to avoid people. Reconciliation is not about being reconciled again to the person, but it can be about being reconciled to God. I don't believe this scripture is teaching us to be a doormat. I believe this scripture is teaching us to get our heart right before we go singing praises to God and acting like there's not something that we need to work on. Being reconciled unto God. Hear this, this from um, Marcus Borg regarding compassion. He says, the linguistic associations of the Hebrew word commonly translated into the English as compassion are rich. The Hebrew word is a plural of a noun that in its singular form means womb. Womb. To be compassionate 
is to be womb-like, life-giving, nourishing, perhaps embracing and encompassing. To be compassionate is to feel for another the way a mother feels for the children of her womb. She loves them, wills their well-being, and sometimes becomes fierce when their well-being is threatened. To say God is compassionate, as the Bible often does, is to say that God is like this. God offers compassion to us. And because God offers us compassion, the gratitude for that compassion, the gratitude for that love, the gratitude of that nourishing should also be extended to others. And sometimes others are best nourished by God at a distance. Forgiveness is key. Repentance is key. Reconciliation to God is key. But often compassion allows us to release them into the love and care of God and to set the boundaries that we need to set so that we can stay compassionate towards them. Scripture often talks about God have mercy on us, God have mercy on us. The Kyrie eleison is mercy, Christ have mercy, Lord have mercy. But it is not actually what that word really means in our modern context. What the word really means in our modern context is actually compassion. When you say, Lord, have mercy, and you're meaning it in a biblical sense, you're actually meaning, Lord, have compassion. Are we ready to have compassion for those that have offended us? Are we ready to have compassion, nourishing compassion for those that have offended us? Borg says mercy is a reactive virtue. When someone says, mercy, 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 please, please have mercy. It's a reactive virtue. We are called to be merciful on those occasions when we have been wrong. Compassion, however, is a much larger area of our lives. We are to be compassionate. Theology is about what God is like, and ethics is how we are supposed to live. Most of our churches teach theology. I teach ethics here. How we are supposed to live. God's character is compassionate, and we are to be compassionate. We are to show compassion as God shows compassion. Compassion is much more than mercy. Let me put it in Texas terms. When it all fails, and you are trying to find your way through forgiveness and reconciliation and repentance, you can just say what well, we usually say, when people just seem to be acting up and we don't know what's wrong with them. Bless their heart. But now I've given you another way to think of it. Bless their heart. Jesus was hanging on the cross and he said, God forgive them for they know not what they do. Some people don't even know what they are doing. 
They are going through life just reacting to things and tearing up things because they don't know what they're doing. They don't know how to address their hurts. They don't know how to address their pain. And you just so happen to be their latest victim. They are wounded. They are broken. They are traumatized. And all we do by holding the offense is playing into their wounds and their trauma, when we can say, bless the heart. Or how we used to say when we were really being shady in the church, I'm gonna pray for you. (laughs) But that's real, that's true, that's not shade. That's what we are supposed to do. I once heard somebody say, God's mercy is not something that we deserve. We could say God's compassion is not something that we deserve. But that grace is about not getting what we do deserve. Grace is about not getting what we do deserve. Compassion subverts all notions of mercy and of grace. I'm going to end on it and put it this way. Just as someone is the villain in your story, guess what? You are the villain in somebody else's story. You, too, are the villain in somebody else's story. Just as we are going about judging other people, being offended by what other people are doing, holding grievances about somebody, we have no idea who we have upset, who is sitting at home right now praying all kinds of curses against you because you have ruined their lives or said something to them or looked at them the wrong way. Just as you have a villain in your story, it is highly probable that you are the villain in somebody else's story. But God is the great reconciler of all of it. Because God's outrageous grace is a demonstration of compassion that some of us don't deserve and don't even know that we have received it. We can't begin to know the level of faults and grievances that we have given to other people. But God is calling us to compassion. God is calling us to love. God is calling for us to be transformed in the midst of it. Because we have received grace and not punishment, we should also extend that grace and compassion. We've often talked about here that sin, we are not punished for our sins. We are punished by our sins. But God's compassion is so deep and so compelling, we are to be grateful and to extend that same compassion to others. It doesn't mean reconnecting. It doesn't mean bringing them back into our lives. But because we have received grace and compassion, we are called to do the same. Amen? Amen. Thank you. Let us join our hearts together in prayer.
Gracious and loving God, thank you so much for your compassion, for your love, and for your grace. I pray that you will give us the strength and the courage to know when we need to extend your compassion, when we need to live into your forgiveness, when we need to repent, when we need to be reconciled to you. God, we don't want to go deeper and deeper into hell, as it was said. We want to go higher and higher into heaven to live at a higher call, a higher truth that allows us to forgive those who have offended us, who have hurt us, and to understand that we don't know the entire story of what they are going through, what they have been through, what they are struggling with. We may not even know who they are, but God, you are calling us to see beyond the situation, to see beyond the condition, to as best we can have the eyes that you have. Help us, oh God, today, out of gratitude for your outrageous grace, help us to extend compassion to those who have seriously hurt and wounded us. This is our prayer. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.